element of looking forward. This is what I'm wanting to do. This is where I'm, I'm headed. This is my direction. And uh, I, I want to kind of start a series. It's not going to be uh, consecutive. There'll be some breaks in this here and there throughout this month. But I want to I want to start a simple series in this month of January, First Things First. I, I don't know if you've, if you've heard, I, I should have had one with me, but I don't know if you've heard the analogy of the professor who had a, a, an empty jar, big empty jar, and he set it on the table, and uh, he grabbed a, a handful of pretty big rocks, you know, and he dropped them in the jar and filled the jar up, and, and uh, he asked his students, he said, is this jar full? Some of the students says, well, it is, you know, the, the, the rocks had reached the top. And that professor smiled, and he grabbed a handful of smaller pebbles, and he began to drop those in the jar and shake the jar. And as he did, those smaller pebbles would be jostled into the voids that were left by the bigger rocks. And so he did that. He then asked, he said, is it filled? And they said no, because they knew where he was going. He smiled, he said, you're right. He grabbed a handful of sand, began to pour that in the jar, shake that jar. And again, the jostling of the jar caused the sand to go down into the voids. They were smaller, but they were there, present, and it filled then. And finally, he asked the students, he said, is the jar filled now? The students said, yeah, probably. It's filled. And that old professor smiled, and he grabbed a glass of water, and he began to pour that into that jar. And, of course, the water filled every void that was there until the top. And he began to ask the question to the students, what do you learn about this? And You know, there were different answers uh, that they gave, but if you would have tried to put the water first, you wouldn't have got anything else in. If you'd have tried to put the rocks or, you know, the small pebbles or the sand in, you'd have never got the big rocks. It matters what you do first. Any of you as a child, maybe even as an adult, I'm looking at you, Brother Jonathan, any of you play with Legos? Any of you still play with Legos? I'm so glad my son has Legos. I love them. One of the things, you know, us guys, we're not real good at following directions. And Legos, yeah, I know it comes as a great surprise, but uh, us guys, we're not, you know, and, and so when I get something from the store, uh, for the most part, I can, I can look at something. I can put something together and uh, not have to use the instructions. I may have a few pieces left over here and there, but it doesn't affect the working of it, I guess. That's why I don't build aircraft. Be bad, you know, you're building an aircraft, you get done, there's a few parts laying around. No, it'll work. <laughs> but the thing about Legos is this. If you don't start at the beginning, it may look okay for a while, but you're eventually going to come to a step that relied on what you did first. And because you didn't do what you were supposed to do first, you start having to tear up everything you've done because it won't go together the way it was. I believe in our lives there is a principle that first things must be first. And and so there are several things that I believe we need to look at to be first in our lives, but ultimately it begins here. God first. Now later on I'm going to preach about first things and first fruits and and there are some other ones that that, that go in that, but it all starts with God first. 
It's the verse in the Bible in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We'll come to that at the end of our sermon. But it starts there, seek first. It's the, it's the, the rich young ruler or, or, or the, 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 one of the Pharisees that asked Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, well, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the first commandment. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 20? I, I wonder, I'm not going to make you do this, but I'm, I am curious. How many of you think you could, you could tell me all ten commandments? Dear Lord. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Sister Buford. Shall I give you one more chance? How many of you think you could tell me all ten commandments? Some of you are like, I Googled it real quick. I can do it. All right, I love you guys with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. But if only a quarter of my church and this church can quote the Ten Commandments, I'm going to start preaching very basic. So let's start. Exodus chapter 20. And the Lord spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant or your livestock or even the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off. And said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, fear not, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Before I get to the point of this message, every time I read this, I am struck by the fact that there was a marked break in the relationship that God wanted with man because it was at this exact moment that they said we don't want to hear from God ourselves we'll send Moses to do our work and they wanted Moses to be the one that talked to God and then Moses you tell us but I'd like to tell you today that that's not the plan God has for you 
I'm glad I can be your pastor. I'm glad that I can stand behind this pulpit and preach and teach. But you need to understand that God wants to speak to you through his word. You don't have to have a mediator or an intercessor like like a pastor or, or someone of that nature. But God desires to commune with you. But those ten commandments, those ten commandments, there's so much more that is, is involved in that. And I've said it, I've preached it, taught it, and mentioned it, that God had brought a people who, who had been in captivity for over 400 years. They had no idea how to govern themselves. They had no idea how to live by themselves. They had no idea how to uh, 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 kind of fend for themselves. They, 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 I know that, that a slave in Egypt and, and all of that, they had some bad days. But to be honest, they had it pretty easy. They had hand, uh, lands, they had houses, they had uh, livestock. You see that all throughout uh, the book of Exodus and, and, and the end of Genesis. You see all of that. They had that. But, but here was the thing. Can you imagine if right now, I looked at all of you. Now, we've got everyone from good city folk. we got a few country folk. Some of you know how to fish. Some of you know how to hunt. Some of you haven't a clue how to do any of that. If it don't come in a box, you don't even know how to cook. You know, that's some of y'all. But can you imagine if right now I said, hey, Lighthouse, we're going out to, you know, we're going out to Mark Twain National Forest and we're going to create our own cities and houses and lands. You'd look at me and go, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to build from scratch. I don't know how to, how to, how to farm what we need to, to keep all of our families alive. And so there were some rules and laws and commandments that God gave them that, that dictated how they were going to govern themselves. There were some laws that dictated how they were going to stay healthy. They didn't have public toilets in the wilderness. And if you begin to look and read it carefully, you'll find that God even told them how to deal with the waste that some three million people were going were, were gonna to generate. And, 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 and I'm not trying to be, be gross or, or, or crude, but you, know, you, you kind of got to think about those things. You didn't just turn on a tap and water flowed out. You drank from the stream. And if you didn't take care of your waste properly, then you were drinking the things you didn't want to be drinking. And diseases came in and, and they would die. And so God said, I got to give you some rules of what to eat and what not to eat and what to drink. I, Got to give you some ceremonial laws on how to, how to get you there. And, and all of that was, was there. The law of God. I, I, I've told you about the law being, um, the, the law cannot cause you to be good. If you're driving down the highway, this is one of my examples that I've given for years. When you drive down the highway and you see that, that, that speed limit sign, that's the law. And, and when you flash by that speed limit sign that says 50 miles an hour, and you look down at your speedometer and you're going 70 miles an hour, the law just told you you sinned. You with me? But that law didn't make you slow down. Sometimes you slow down because you see those little blinky lights behind you. But even then, it's not because you wanted to. It's because you don't want to pay the fine. The law, and, and this, is, this is Romans chapter 7, the law cannot make you any better. It cannot make you any worse. But I, I found very recently one of the best ways to describe the purpose of the law. And, and, and it says this, that the law was never meant to be the way of salvation for either the Jews or the Gentiles. We understand Galatians chapter 2 says, By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The law simply tells us whether we're, 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 we're righteous or not righteous. And, and you know us, we can't be righteous if we tried. We can't do it on our own. But the law is this. The law is a mirror that reveals that you're dirty. 
When you look in the mirror and you see you know, food on your face or smudges on your face, the law shows whether you're clean or not clean, but the law cannot clean you. There's only one thing that can cleanse you, and that is only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from all sin. And so there's moments that I read the Word of God and the law of God, and it shows me I desperately need the cleansing that only Jesus can give. These Ten Commandments, though, stand different from ceremonial law. These Ten Commandments stand different from uh, the, the, you know, the laws of how to build their city and how to set it all up. These Ten Commandments uh, are, are actually nine of them are repeated in the New Testament epistles for our church to honor. The only one that's not necessarily repeated is the Sabbath Day Commandment. And I, I want to talk about that just in, in a little bit. But the first of these commandments, the first four of the commandments that you find there in the Ten Commandments represent how you get along with God. And it's those last commandments, the, 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 the second part of those commandments that deal with how we relate to others. And there's a reason it goes first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth to the tenth. Because you can't deal with others properly until you deal with God properly. You can't let others deal with you properly until you let God deal with you properly. There is something you have to do first, and first is God. First, the Bible says, and I'm, I, I want to make sure, so if, you, if you've already gotten off of it, turn back. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Make sure you keep your Bible open as we go through some of these. Exodus chapter 20, let's start there at that beginning. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. Why is this? What's so important about that? I believe it's five times here in this chapter you find the phrase, the Lord thy God. The reason this statement is made is because Moses was not giving you his opinions. Moses was not giving you his thoughts or his commentary. He was giving you commandments that came straight from the mouth of God himself. The, the, the world that these new Jews and Hebrews were living in was a superstitious world that was filled with all sorts of gods, if you will. There, everywhere you turned, there was a little tribe or a little city or a little town, and they had their own gods. They were worshiping everything and anything they could, and in the middle of that, there was one called by God, a group Israel that was to bear witness of the one true living God. That phrase before me, you can have no other God before me. It's more than just a phrase that denotes uh, order. It's more than just a phrase of first or second or one or two, but it, it, it could actually be uh, better translated as in opposition to me. Have no other gods, for if you do, they would be an opposition for me. Here's why. For the Jews, if they were to turn around and worship another God other than the one true God, Jehovah, then what they would be doing would be declaring war on Jehovah. 
to put this in a better understanding. Those of you that are married, those of you that have made your vows and you have said, I pledge my life, my trust, I pledge it all to my spouse. If I haul off and turn around and I go find me some side chick on the side, you cannot, those cannot dwell in a happy uh, relationship. It doesn't work. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what you find in the National Enquirer. I saw some dumb story come through my news feed that says somewhere, there's, I think it's in Britain, there's two identical twins that want to marry the same guy. Are they crazy? Well, they may be crazy, but that guy better run for all his life. They don't, if I said, hey, Sister Buford, I found a, a, another lady I'm going to hang with. You can't, for me to say that, says that she and that side chick are in opposition to each other. Y'all are laughing, but that's the easiest way to translate the fact that the Bible said, Israel's my bride, and every time you started worshiping a false god, you committed adultery against me. God says it's not enough for you just to say, well, I'll worship God second. If you don't put God first, you can't even put him second. It's either God first or God nothing. Because it is in opposition, you cannot put another God before me or in opposition with me. This is why God told the children of Israel, he said every morning when you wake up, you need to look up to heaven and say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you need to say, Hero Israel, the, our, uh, our Lord our God is one Lord. That Shema, if you will, in the Hebrew language. And I realize that, that it's easy for us to say, oh, that's Jewish. But can I remind you that the Bible is not Jewish. It is not uh, uh, apostolic, if you will. It's, not, it's just designed to say this is what the truth is. We're the ones that put all these different names to it. But if you just follow the book from Genesis to Revelation, you would realize from Genesis 1-1 to the very end of the amen of Revelation, it's all about God revealing himself to you so that we might be saved, that one day we could live with him for eternity. So can I tell you, I know you're not Jewish, but could I help you out? Would you get in your mind and in your heart to wake up in the morning and say, Hero Israel, Hero O'Fallon, Hero Buford family, the Lord our God is one Lord because he's first. There's something about it that you've got to realize that the Lord is one. Not just one of many, but the only one. The next one goes on to say that you should not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness. Don't bow down to them. Don't serve them. Don't worship How? An idol is a substitute for God. A substitute is not the real thing. I know some of you are on diets, and I'm so proud of you. But sweet and low, and equal, and stevia, and whatever else you eat is not a sugar. There is only one sugar, and it is a good sugar, and I like my sugar. Are you with me? 
Just because you have a substitute, that doesn't mean it's okay. The Bible said, first off, there's only one God, and so don't go try to find some substitute that's going to leave God out in the cold. Don't, don't uh, uh, worship, because to do that is to deny the fact that there is a one true and living God. Let me take it a little bit further. This, and, and, and it, it amazes me. How much of the Bible, the, the historical parts of the Bible, are now being played out in modern day times. Not that there's a lot of people that, you know, have some carved image that they're worshiping, but we'll get to idol- modern day idolatry here in a moment. But, but this, the, the all, all of these, let, let's say Egypt, Egypt did it, Babylon did it, even the Philistines did it. They like to say this, tell you what, I got an idea. Pharaoh looks at at Moses, and he says, why can't we just all get along? We'll worship Ra, you worship Jehovah. Why can't we just agree to disagree? That, that you say you're worshiping the one true living God that created the heavens, and, and we're worshiping over here our, our gods that look like jackals and look like birds and look like all of that, and, and we believe they made uh, uh, creation, and so why don't we just say that we're worshiping one God just in different forms or formats? This modern-day, present-day religious pluralism that says you worship your God and I'll worship my God because they're both is right is the most unbiblical, illogical stupid thing that we could ever get to it's not about your God or my God it's about hero Israel the Lord our God is one God and if God is God then he will be infinite, eternal, and sovereign. And those three words tell me that an infinite, eternal, and sovereign God cannot share a throne with anybody else that you think is eternal, sovereign, or or, uh, infinite. He said in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord and that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to a graven or carved image. God will not give or allow the glory that he is deserving to be given to any other. But John chapter 1 said there is something he did do. This sovereign, eternal, and and immortal God said, I will reveal my glory in flesh in the beauty of the incarnation, which is why the Bible says, John chapter 1, that Jesus is the glory of God revealed. If you think that Jesus is any different than God, then what you were saying is that God had to share his glory. But God has already told us he will not share his glory. And so the only understanding is, is that Jesus has to be that one true and living God. This idol worship that was given or that went on, not only was it illogical, not only was it unbiblical, but it was amazing that it it went far beyond just some sort of worship. It was immoral. Almost every idolatry you read in the Bible dealt somewhere with 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 temple uh, 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 prostitutes and fertility rites. It was inhuman. Many of the idols that they worshipped, they would sacrifice their children to. And it was demonic. So that's why the Lord would say, you got to destroy the temples and the altars and the idols of the pagans when you invade the land of Canaan. 
So we look today and we look around and Canaan's land's been conquered. Jews have their land. Does it matter idolatry? Is that some old Old Testament biblical term that doesn't apply to you and I in 2019? And, and if all we had was the Old Testament, perhaps, but I'm amazed that John chapter 5 and verse 21, which is one of the final admonitions of John, who was the last to write, he was the last to be alive from the group of that had walked with Jesus. One of his final admonitions was, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Baal was gone. Many of those old idols you read in the Old Testament, they had already been, been, been done. The church of the living God was alive and well. Your post, the Acts, your post, day of Pentecost. Why in the world would John say keep yourselves from idols? It's because he understood that whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament or in 2019, it still matters. Keep God first. An idol. Let me give you a good definition of an idol. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. It's anything that you devote your energy, your time, or, your, or, or, or things that you make sacrifices for because you love it and you serve it. John's admonition probably was not talking about Baal, most likely was not talking about Ra. It was talking about the idols of money, recognition, success, material possessions, knowledge, and even other people. I read last night, late, I, I was had, had this on my mind, and pastor posted this, and, and I said, thank you, Lord, that fits just perfectly in what you're already giving me. He said, an idol always requires a sacrifice. And so here are the questions that you must ask yourself. What are you giving up so you can have something else that you desire? What is being destroyed in your life so that something else can live? It could be as simple as this. Are you sacrificing your family for your self-interest? Are you sacrificing your family for your money or for your friendships? Take a look at what you're giving up and you'll always track down who you're serving. If Jesus, and I'm still quoting from Jason Pagan, if Jesus is not first, then your family or your other things of eternal value will be destroyed by your devotion. But when you worship the true God, it destroys the bad, bad stuff from your life and everything else you give him is blessed and will be multiplied if you'll put God first. He's a jealous God. I'm, I'm continuing on in, in Exodus chapter 20. That word jealous doesn't mean he's envious of other gods. That's, that has not, he, he's not sitting up the girl going, man, I, I wish I could be as cool as Buddha. I wish I could get them to cut themselves from me. That's not what it means for God to be jealous. But what it means is the word jealous is that he expresses his love for his people because he wants the very best for them. And just as parents ought to be jealous for their children and, and wives and spouses and husbands ought to be jealous over their mates, God is jealous over his beloved ones and does not, will not, won't tolerate competition. 
God is so serious. When you begin to look, he says, if I don't receive your exclusive worship, if I don't receive your undivided love, the Bible tells us that he punishes those who refuse to obey him. Now in the Bible here in, in Exodus chapter 20 when it says he visited the sins to the children and the grandchildren it doesn't mean that he punishes the children because of the parents' mistakes. That's not what it means. It means that because those children and those grandchildren were raised in an attitude and an atmosphere where God wasn't put first you probably won't expect them to learn to put God first in their own life as they grow. And so because of that, the cycle continues. And what dad and mom let go, the children's let go even further. And then what the children let go and don't put first, the grandchildren, until you finally get to a place, as it was said in the book of Judges, there arose a generation that knew not God nor the works of their fathers, and they did what was right in their own eyes because they had forgotten how to put God first. He said, you got to honor his name and keep it holy. You gotta honor the Sabbath day. Unfortunately, the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees, they took this and they tore it apart and they they added so many weights and burdens and laws to this that that it became just it's not even doable. You can't you can't turn a light switch on on the Sabbath day. You can't turn your stove on to cook on a Sabbath day. You can't walk so many place, you know, you can't walk so many feet, otherwise you're working, but that's not at all what God had designed, and while we may not talk about the Sabbath day in the New Testament much, I will tell you that the principle is still true, and that is if you don't take time and rest, you'll burn out. I want you to look at what the Sabbath day was. The Sabbath day was, it was twofold. It was a time of worship, and it was a time of rest, and you even rested your animals. So when, when the Sabbath day came, they worshiped God, they rested, they let their oxen and their cattle and, their, and all of that, they let them take a break, and then when the next day rolled around, they were ready to work, and they understood that. And, and you say, well, why does that matter when it says put God first? Because I've seen a lot of people get so caught up in the pursuit of riches and materialistic things that they somehow think that they can work through every church service, and they can work through every time, and they never get that rest, and they never get that worship. I want to take that a little bit further. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. It's part of that sermon of the mount, on the mount. And I want to bring home a little more the idols that so easily can rise in our lives. If you have a Bible that, that's got red letters, you'll notice this is red letter edition. That means Jesus spoke these words. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for, your tre- for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body shall be full of darkness. And if the light is it that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? For no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And King James says mammon. English Standard Version says money. 
Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you drink, nor about your body, what you put on. For is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add one single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly fathers know that you have need of them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. It's so easy for us to walk through our life and split life into things that are material, and things that are spiritual. But Jesus began to make it very clear that there is no such division. Your life is spiritual. Your life is material. And they work in harmony with one another. The Pharisees were covetousness. The Pharisees used their religion to make money. The priests, they did the same thing. If you were supposed to bring a sacrifice to the priest and the priest could take a little of that meat for their own doing, the, sac- the priest started telling people in the Old Testament, I need you to bring T-bone steak and I need you to bring filet mignon. Don't bring me, you know, the tongue. Don't bring me that, that front shoulder. That's all tough. I want the best of the best. And the priest began to have the wrong attitude because your attitude toward material things is a mark of your true spirituality. Nowhere, now listen to me very carefully. I I know a lot of people have different views on this. On one end of the spectrum, you have prosperity doctrine. Do this and God's going to make you a millionaire. On the other end, you have the poverty doctrine, that God doesn't want you to have anything and you need to live as a hermit with nothing and it's it's that pious uh, living. But nowhere in the Bible does God speak uh, or either, either magnify nor criticize poverty or the legitimate getting of wealth. In fact, your Bible will teach you one of the verses, I don't have time to read it all, but one of the verses uh, that you can read is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. And it says that he has richly given us all things to enjoy. And that is that God made all things, food and clothing and precious metals. He, in, in a sense, he made the houses and the cars and all of that. And so it's not wrong to possess things. It's not wrong to have things. Where it becomes wrong is where the things possess or the things have you. Because at that moment, you have neglected putting God first. And you've allowed materialism to be put first instead. The sin of idolatry is still rampant in the church today. There are warnings in the Bible over and over against covetousness, against wanting more and more and more and more. Jesus warned about the sin of living for the things of this life and he pointed out what happens if all you live for are the things you can get and and obtain and obsess over. Here's some of the things that begins to happen in verses 19 through 24 of Matthew chapter 6. Materialism enslaves you you can be shackled 
by the things you want. If you begin to put the things of this earth first and you put earthly gain above heavenly investments, then it is a tragic loss. And the Bible says the treasures of earth ought to be used for the glory or for the kingdom of God. But if you gather them for yourself, you're destined to lose them. Don't don't gather for yourself things here on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? Here's what it means. You ready? To take everything you have and everything you get and use it for the glory of God. Everything. If you go play a game of golf, man, go have fun. I hope you hit a hole in one. But in the middle of it, don't let it consume you. But use it for the glory of God. You'll create friendships through that game you'll never have any other way. And it might open an avenue for you to share the gospel with somebody. It's a way of using all things for the glory of God. Not only does wealth enslave the heart, because the Bible says that I can tell where people's heart is by where their treasure I want when people examine my life, I would hope, and and if it's not the case, if you don't see it, then God forgive me and help me to do better. But I hope that when you look at Brandon Paul Buford, you can see a heart that loves God with everything he has. That says, God, I may enjoy hunting. I may enjoy fishing. I may enjoy going on a vacation here or there. But at the end of the day, I love you with everything I've got. And I put you first. Not only will that idol of materialism enslave your heart it will also enslave your mind God's word it uses the eye to represent the attitude if your eye is properly focused on the light then everything works good but if that eye is out of focus you begin to see double you begin to see things not clearly and if your life If your aim in life is to get more and have more and do more and you've stopped putting God first, then it means your life is living in darkness. You're going to serve one or the other. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve mammon. Not only does it enslave you, it's amazing how fast covetousness devalues what we have. It cheapens us. I, I, I've seen it very recently. And, and kids are, are a good example of this. You give them a gift. They open the gift. It's an incredible gift. You spent good money on that gift. And before they've even touched the gift, they're already talking about the next biggest gift. And what would happen if they could return that and get something bigger and better. And that materialness begins to devalue what they have in their hands. And when you don't put God first, you begin to realize that everything you have starts losing its value. And you become anxious and you become worried. And this is exactly the life that so many people today are living. It amazes me how much worry and anxiety and stress is there. And listen to me, I'm telling you, it's biblical that stress and anxiety and worry is unnatural and it's unspiritual. 
And it's because you stop putting God first. The person that thinks, if I can just get a little bit more money, if I can be just a little richer, if I can hit the next tax bracket, then it will solve all of my problems. But in reality, the more you get, the more problems you get. It's that why the Bible says the birds and the lilies don't fret, they don't worry, yet they have the wealth of God more than they could ever imagine. See, God designed creation to depend on him. Go read the book of Job. Read where where God got a hold of Job and gives him a litany, a list of everything. He said, Job, do you know where snow is made? And do you know where the springs of water reside? And do you know who feeds the eagles? And do you know who feeds the colts out in the field? And and I I mean, it was just a a, a punching fest, if you will, as God slugged one, one line after another. And finally, Job had to recognize, I don't know where they get all that except you. Nature depends on God, and so ought you and I. And when you don't depend on Him, when you begin to depend on others, you'll find that if you don't depend on God, everything else you depend on always fails. Believe it. I believe it's Psalms 8, 118, if I'm not mistaken. Psalms 118 talks about why would you, don't put your, your, your faith, don't put your hope in, in horses and men. Put your hope in God. Put your faith in God. That Bible where it says that they take no thought, it literally means to be drawn in different directions. Somebody said it this way, worry always tears us apart. Any of you that have ever had worry in your life, you know what I'm talking about. It tears you apart. Nature, it's it's amazing how beautiful nature itself works together. Unchecked, without any influence of man, nature balances itself perfectly. Put man in the mix and it begins to tear apart. When you allow yourself to say, I first trust God, I first love God, I first put my hand in God's hand, then you begin to realize that God pulls us together, but everything else pulls us apart. So have you put God first? There's so many other things I could talk about that. So many other things that I could go but one commentator said of Matthew chapter 6, there were three words you have to, to look at. Faith, Father, and first. Faith is, I trust God to meet my needs according to all His riches and glory. I trust that Heavenly Father because the Word of God says He cares for me. And I put Him first because... You know me. Most of you have heard me preach probably a hundred times. I dislike taking a verse, picking up out of the chapter, just using that verse. It just doesn't do it justice. And we use the verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And we pick that verse up and we hold it in some little cute package and we take it with us. 
put it back in the context where you grab it. I want all of the things that God can bring. I want the kingdom of God. That, that, that's a no-brainer. I want, his, I want his, the riches of glory that he has, but you can't have that if you don't want his righteousness. You've got to be willing to be holy. You've got to be willing to walk with Him. You've got to be willing to follow His words. You've got to be willing to listen to Him. You've got to be willing to let Him speak to you. You can't just desire the riches of His kingdom without the commandments of His kingdom. So that's why I said seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But it's that, it's that final phrase, if you do that, then all these things shall be added unto you. What things? I've learned as I've read the Bible to, to read and question. Not, not question and doubt, but when I see that, all these things. I want to know what things. What things? Well, let me tell you what things. Are you ready? Don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about where you're going to get your food. Don't worry about where you're going to get your drink. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about the clothing. Don't worry about all of that. Don't worry about how long you're going to live or not live. But all of these things God will provide if you'll seek Him first. I could tell you right now, I could, I could begin to take hours I could begin to take hours and tell you all the times that I got my eyes off God I got my eyes on this world and I begin to seek to lay up treasures for myself in this world and I could show you where I picked up treasures that I thought were going to be incredible and they broke apart in my hands because moth and rust corrupted it and I lost it faster than I could gain it. I could show you places where I had no idea where the next meal was going to come from. I could take you places in my life where I had no idea how I was going to make the next step. I saw in my heart, I'm going to put God first. And all those other things work themselves out. And the worry that should have consumed my life was not present because I had put God first and when you put God first what else do you need I could go a lot of directions in this there's a lot more I could say there's a lot more that I won't say later on but the principle of your life needs to be thus hero Israel the Lord our God is one Lord there's no one beside him there's no one before him. There's no one after him. There's no one that's co-equal. There's no one that's co-eternal. There's no other God that we can say is like him. He's the only one. He's the only one. He's the only one. Let me say it until you get it. There's no other. And if I have another God, then I'm putting it in opposition to him. You can't have both. So I'm inviting you today to stand. I'm inviting you to begin to take inventory of your life and ask yourself this question. Do I put God first? And again, if I may, could I go back to the words of Pastor Jason Pagan or Pagan? And could I ask you the questions that he posed? Because this is how you determine whether or not you've got another 
idol in your life. The things of God, what is being destroyed in your life so that something else can live? I understand that life has ways of throwing curves. I know that jobs are important. I, I get that. I do. It's hard to pay electric bills if you don't have a job. I understand that. But if you sacrifice your church attendance for a job, you're in a bad spot. Now you say, Pastor, what happens when sometimes a, a, a shift goes? I get that. That's why I don't call you up and gripe at you because I know some of you work third shifts and stuff like that but I'm going to tell you right now when you start allowing something to get first it never stops and I can show you and I'll, I won't do it but I can show you person after person in this church that's walked up to me and said I don't know what to do pastor about my job I, and I've looked you in the eye and I've said if you'll begin to pray God whatever you have to do to let me be in church. I said, I promise you, if you'll start praying that God will provide, and I could start calling you out name by name, those that you were big enough, bold enough, and bad enough to put God on the spot and pray that prayer, and look what God has done in your life because you put God first. You put God first. What's being destroyed in your life so that you can live? What are you sacrificing for something else? If constantly the things of your life that you sacrifice is your time with God and your devotion with God and your commitment to God and your giving to God and your life with God, if those are the things that are constantly being sacrificed, you've got an idol in your life and that idol is going to destroy you. But I have never, I have never once sacrificed fun and frivolity and hobbies and things for God that he didn't bless me some other way I've never sacrificed and given to God first my heart, my mind, my soul and my strength and then I get done and go well it wasn't worth it I've never said that I've lived almost 40 years this year will be 40 years I've never once looked back and said, God, that was a waste of my time to give you that, that glory. But I have many, many times held the tattered remnants of, life, of my life in my hands and said, Brandon, that sacrifice wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. I hope you feel the passion of your shepherd. I hope you understand the word of God that I've delivered to you. What's first in your life? It starts with God. Would you bow your head? Only you can answer that question. I may conceive some results and I may can make an assumption, but honestly, you're the only one that can answer. Who do you put first?